And so I never got that job and, but I did learn to write scripts and felt, wow, this is exciting. And then uh, that's the story I told Bob about Mrs. Kravitz at the car wash telling me, sometimes you got to start with what you don't want to find out what you do want. And I knew I didn't want to be in LA anymore. I felt dejected. I was lost for what was next in my life and strung, strung together a few road gigs from there that, cause that's how I knew how to get paid. And then I, I knew it was over one night in Macon, Georgia, when I'm sitting in the back of the room and I'm thinking as they're introducing me, I would pay anyone in this room every dime I have to go pretend to be me right now. I cannot say mm. these jokes again. Welcome to the Innovative Founder, the show where entrepreneurs get real. real. These are the raw, the gut-wrenching, often hilarious, sometimes shocking, and definitely entertaining stories of innovative business founders who are making their beautiful dent in the world. No BS, no posturing, and no narcissists allowed. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the unscripted adventures on today's episode. Now, here's your hairless hosts, Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd. Hello, founders. Welcome We're back. We're back. We are here. Been warned. Um, last week, uh, we got kind of deep. Bob Bob got told some personal stories, and it's all good. Thank you, thank you for sharing those things deep with us, Bob. With Bob Regneris. Um, but we didn't get a chance to talk about what Brandon's been doing. So, yeah. so let's talk about Brandon no. today. No. So Brandon, <laughs> you play more than most people I know. And you went and, <laughs> um, and you took your boys down for, for a boys weekend. Was, Tell us we, what you were doing. We did a boys weekend in Corpus Christi, Texas. And Corpus Christi, I am have found out, is one of the best places in the U.S. to learn how to windsurf. So I kind of picked that up last year via some friends and it's super fun and easy to learn. Of course, mastery just takes time and it's actually just fun to keep learning it. It's not like, oh, this is drudgery until I get good. It's actually really fun to fall in the water and it's, you can, you can adjust, you know, the board and the sail to your skill level. So it's, it's been really fun so far. So we got a little guys weekend. We went down, flew down to San Antonio car ride and, uh, just had a great time. We uh, we got out on the on the ocean and um, got a lesson, and then just started messing around. And uh, it was fun, and it was it was a good time. Got a little sunburn. My youngest got blown out to middle of the lagoon, and got a sunburn, and had to drag him back. That was a little bit of a not really scary. I knew he was safe because it doesn't really get deeper than chest deep, and he's a really good swimmer. But it was it was a lesson in fatherhood of like he can work it out it's okay. He's going to figure it out. You can do this. And yeah. And so, I mean, I, I run up to the shed. I'm like, Hey man, we need your help. He got blown out. And he goes, have him walk 20 yards to his right. He'll be on a sandbar. And lo and behold, by the time I got halfway out there, they're already, my, my oldest was helping him and coaching him. So, okay. Was he, was he close enough that you could like actually yell out to him? Oh yeah. Yeah. He was, it was was probably quarter mile, a little bit more, but it's, it's just a lagoon. So it's very shallow. And the wind's blowing out. So he got, a, he, he, again, he was new. So he got kind of caught out a little bit, but it's a little scary. When I learned, it was like, oh, wow, I can't see bottom, even though it's shallow and there's, you know, monsters down there. Um, so anyway, that was great. Came back in, he got back on it next day and, and uh, we played a lot. My, uh, we, my 
my old introduced my oldest to raw oysters on the half shell. <clears throat> so that was a initiation of uh, taking down some oysters with him and over beers and good conversation. So it's, it was really fun. It's really fun to kind of, you know, transition the relationship father, son to like friend, friend. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's 21 now, almost 22 and, and just been a huge source of encouragement for me. And just, you know, <laughs> I think parents, we walk around with this idea of all the things we would have done different. And I've, Sometimes, and even in a, for me, where my brain can be at is in a state of apology and wish this would have been different and sorry about that. And my oldest is just <clears throat> very grateful. And he's just, he's, he's, a, he's a, my biggest fan. And it feels so good uh, to, to have that kind of dynamic with him. So I was very appreciative. You got deep on me too fast. I wanted sorry. to say, I wanted sorry. to say, whenever, whenever you go windsurfing, <laughs> I, I am taken back to one of the, it's like a cult movie, classic comedy starring Robin Williams, Rick Moranis called Club Paradise. Ah, have, you, have you seen that movie? I've not seen it. I've not seen okay. it. Okay. Came out in 1986. Uh, Eugene Levy's in it. Rick Moranis is in it. Um, uh, but Robin Williams is like the, the, the head guy. But Rick Moranis gets on a windsurf and ends up like on the other end of the world and is like completely sunburned. So I think of that every single time. Um <laughs> So that that's one to look up and watch. I, I don't know right. where you could find it. Um, you know, maybe it's on YouTube or something. But right. um, just love that movie, <laughs> like a five star rated movie. Nice, um, but just just absolutely hilarious. So I did want to ask you something, Brandon. Uh, yeah. we've been we've been talking about this. So uh, for those people that uh, are the grinders and they sit behind their desk six days a week, seven days a week, let's call it. Um, and they're just grinding away. Why do you think it's important for people to get out and play? Um, I think it's, I, I'm a huge believer in disruption. I'm a huge believer in things have to be shaken up. And, and, and that's kind of the shtick that I play a lot of times when I'm even with, with clients, with my own family, with my friends is, we're going to shake the snow globe a little bit, not, a, not necessarily in an offensive way, maybe edgy, maybe borderline, but it's, there's something about disruption I think is healthy. And so when I think about that, certainly there's, there's 50, hundred things that I could have reasons why it was important for me to stay home and, and work on. And yet my reasoning is I'm never, ever, ever going to regret getting three days, four days with my sons mm -hmm. on an ocean. I will never regret that ever. It is such a deep value for me. And I, so it was, it's giving myself permission to realize that in this, this finite time space that we have, that someday I'm going to be unable to do this and I'll be looking back and I'm going to relish and talk about the story of my youngest getting blown out in the ocean and my oldest eaten raw oysters with me. And, and um, those are the stories I want to be able to tell, you know, okay. those are the stories I want to lean into. So I, I don't know if that answers the question is a long answer, but it's. Well, that was, that was your motivation. Uh, what I'd like to hear is like, why, why do you think it's actually healthy to go play? I think it's for the same almost mystical reason why we get our best ideas in the shower. Okay you know, I can sit here at my computer and I got ideas and things are rolling out and then I can go, I'll, I'll do some 
perhaps a menial task around my apartment or I'll be in the shower or I'm going to run down and get the mail. And then that seven minute walk back and forth, breathing some fresh air, not deliberately thinking about a project or something and letting the mind kind of float and putting it in a different environment. It's amazing what comes into me. It's amazing that when the pressure is off, the flow comes in, if that makes sense. Um, so I think it's, I think it's critical. Um, you know, I was talking to my son about this. He's, he's, he's got some entrepreneurial interests and, and we, we are reading a book together. Um, but this idea um, of there's, there's a school of thought of, of the pressure and the focus. And we talk about this sometimes we talk about, you know, in, in the productivity and entrepreneurial narratives of the grind and the hustle and the focus and measuring every 15 minutes to see if you're productive and how many books can you read in a month and all this. And so there's this, there's this focus on intensity and focus. And I certainly believe that. And then I think there's a polarity of creating space just to see what happens and to let all of that work you've done on thinking actually just kind of see what's going to kind of come up without a lot of focused effort. And I think that's what those environments do for us. I don't stop working on vacation. My brain is coming up with ideas and I'm jotting them down and I'm, I'll text you an idea. Hey, what do you think about this? It's, 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 I don't think it's ever leaving the suitcase at the door that, that, you know, became a popular saying. I, I just think there is times of you're focusing five, 10% on your business. And then there's times you're focusing 90 to hundred percent intentionally. I don't think it ever really disconnects. Yeah. And I don't think that's a bad thing. So it's interesting um, at Perry Marshall's conference, uh, AI was one of the main, main topics. And um, Tom Maloche, who uh, was one of the co-authors on my Facebook book, he actually wrote version one. I wrote version four. Um, he talked about the critical nature of being right brain thinkers that we have focused so much in the last 20, 30 years on left brain thinking, logical thinking, yeah. that um, we, we've really we've really been negligent about tapping into the artistic and emotional side of our brains. And the good news for those that are are heeding this advice, those that live in their right brain are actually going to thrive in the age of AI because creativity, language, and artistry are what gonna are gonna be the tools that help fuel the results out of AI. And that absolutely, when you are out windsurfing or you are walking or you are painting or you are doing music or you're writing comedy, like our guest Kevin Rogers started out in, um, you are going to be uber successful because you have this art of humanity that you are tapped into um left brain thinking while it's 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 really good and it's really necessary to be logical and orderly uh, it's the artistry that allows the creativity to bust through and that's what real humans let's like a machine can't tap into right brain creativity that's where we have an advantage over every other living creature is our ability to have that right brain thinking and so when you're surfing out on the 
wind and water at Corpus Christi, uh, your left brain is probably operating, right? It's it's operating the, the wind sail, but the right brain is like going, isn't this the most awesome thing in the world? And you're taking in the blue sky and the wind and the, yeah. and the mist, right? Yeah. That's fueling that right brain. And it's out of that right brain that creativity flows. And uh, it's just a really good lead in for our guest today, who, you know, is one of the probably one of the best modern copywriters around Kevin Rogers. He's known as the copy chief. And uh, he's just got a, he's really sure of who he is. And, you know, he doesn't claim to be Gary Halbert or John Carlton um, or David Deutsch. He's, he's himself. And uh, he's built a really nice following. He's got a great community of people that he's training and mentoring and just really teaching them to be themselves. And he's a gifted writer. And he realized that at a young age, and, uh, you know, the cool thing is he took that, he took that to a com comedy career. Uh, we get to hear about that quite a bit in his process. And the, he, he figured out that he could take that skill into the world of business. And I think, you know, I think you discovered that Brandon, um, you know, you're a real good balance of left brain and right brain, you know, from, from a copy perspective, which is why we do video maybe versus long form sales letters. Mm. Um, Kevin tapped into that and, you know, he's, he's a really gifted writer and uh, that's why so many people gravitate toward him. Cause he's just, isn't he just a real dude? Like yeah. it was just like, it was just a really good conversation that we have with him. It, yeah. Just incredibly grounded and um, just incredibly authentic and honest. Um, you know, when you're mentioning that, you know, I, I studied copywriting and did copywriting for a while, I still do here and there. And, you know, there's, there's two sides of copywriting. There's the mechanics, there's the structure, which yeah. most that's mostly what we see online and that people have frankly gotten a little tired of people trying to use tactics and, and that that don't are kind of worn out and people gotten wise to. The, the other side of that is what I, I think is perhaps difficult to teach and it's a feel-based thing and that's resonance. And we talk about that today. Mm -hmm is the, the the connection of humanity. Like I see you, you see me, you understand me, I understand you. That is something, that is a nuance, that is a vibration, that is a, that that's something that it, it's, I don't know if it can be taught as much, it can be observed and lean into and someone, each human has to find their own way to do that. You know, I can teach anybody to write a sales letter structure. You can find those, a dime a dozen on the internet, but can you teach someone to be resonant with their audience? I think that's a beautiful skill, talent, ability, whatever you want to call it. And I think Kevin is really good at that. Yeah. Uh, that just he, comes he, through life, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's and, just something you got to practice and, and get good at. Yeah. So we're really excited. Uh, we had a great conversation. We can't wait for you to listen in. Uh, here's, here's our friend, uh, the copy chief, Kevin Rogers. Hey, Kevin. What's up, Chief? How are you? Good friend. Good to see you. Good What's to happening? see you. They're never going to tell us apart. I know, right? No, this is this is sexiness personified, isn't it? <laughs> There's so much testosterone and and eye candy happening. <laughs> I don't even know. I, I don't even know if Zoom can handle it. I don't even know. <laughs> we may wow. crash the system. I know we may break it. We're going to break it. <laughs> God, I was at a Perry Marshall event last week and 
of course there's a few bald few baldies around there too and we were planning on literally putting our physical heads together to get very interesting shots <laughs> like asses like look yeah. like a butt, you know or something six ass cheeks yeah yes yeah, yeah awesome so that, that conversation was happening well you know for most of us it turns out to be uh we start because it looks cool and now it's just well this is the way this is the way this oh, is yeah. the way it is. is i'll go like you know when i'm like three days in i'm like oh, this is all right and then by day five i'm like i now look balder than when i shave my head <laughs> right yeah like you got you gotta use the pitbull i'm the pitbull shaver guy brandy use that too right i use the trimmer every three four days okay I got yeah. the one. I just do that in the shower. So it's every two. Yeah, days. yeah I go back and forth. Use I've been using this Freebird. It's really good. Hey, founders, we are so excited to introduce you to Mr. Kevin Rogers, the copy chief. Boom. How you doing, nice friend? To be here, Kevin. How are you? Very good. It's great to be here with you guys. I appreciate you having me on, and I love the format. We'll yeah, I wonder. I wonder talk. how many people listening uh, get get your daily emails. That would be. Uh, uh -oh. I wonder if it's going to be deja vu for them. Yeah. Hearing, hearing the stories that's, you know, man, story. I love that you call this story cast because I just think that's the most revealing thing we have, mm. right? Because you learn so much about the storyteller and you're having your own experience while you're hearing it. But every, every little choice the storyteller makes in sharing the story is very revealing. Yeah. I'm yeah, gonna, I'm going to jump in with a question right away, a little bit different than we normally do. Uh, we were just at, uh, I was just at a Perry Marshall's conference and Sam Woods was there, right, Chief? Yeah. So, um, he blew people's minds about AI. But uh, one of the things that just gave me a ton of comfort is that uh, AI, if, if you're scared about AI, it means you're probably not great at communicating. And mm. I think all three of us have this love for story as we shared, but mm. we're also like, just deep students of communication. We, we yeah. speak, we write. Um, so if you if you have a uh, a love of the language, if you love the art of conversation, you're going to be really successful at AI. Um, I'd love to yeah. hear kind of your take. I'm sure I'm sure people in your community are probably a little bit freaked out that AI is going to replace them. You want to talk a little bit about what you're sure. telling them and teaching them about? Yeah, AI? yeah, it's a great segue into it because. That is exactly what it is. It, it, it's a conversation. The way I sum up copywriting, and it, maybe this is kind of the same for feature writing for journalists, right? It's a two-way conversation driven from one side. Mm. And particularly oh. with copywriting, that has to be what it is. Think about the goal, the objective. If we, I mean, we talk theoretically about persuasion. Persuasion is taking somebody on a ride giving them space to have their own thoughts, objections. You want to frustrate them. You, it's not manipulation. It's, it's just like a real, com an interesting conversation would happen with a friend or a stranger. And we know when it's happening and we don't want it to end. It feels great, right? Mm -hmm. we, feel, we feel heard enough, but we have to do that from one side. And so if you have an instinct and appreciate, like you said, Bob, communication and what it really means, then a great writer has an instinct for how his reader is going to be reacting emotionally, how they moving down the page. When do you want to challenge them? When do you, how do you get them to 
adjust or open their mind to another way to think about a thing that they're very sure they know about. Mm. That's what that's what writing, communicating, copywriting is. And it doesn't have to, it does have to have an agenda in copywriting, but in human to human conversation, right, right now we have no agenda for where this conversation is going, except that hopefully it'll be revealing and entertaining, but nobody here has an agenda for what the outcome should be, yeah. except for finding some, some truth and whatever, right? So um, if you take that approach to AI, I say to this to people, if you're afraid of it, I bet you haven't played with it. Mm -hmm. I bet you're adopting the fear theories and, and all the hype and people want to sell you this and that. Have you opened it up at no charge and started typing into it? It is a conversation. You know what? The first thing I say, if, if it's before noon to chat GPT, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> and it says, good morning. How can I help you? And I say, you know, I just did this thing where I sent a question to all my email subscribers and uh, I got 80 responses and I've taken all those responses and I put them in a document. What I would love is for me to share that document with you or those responses with you and have you analyze the core issues they're facing through those responses. Are you able to do that? Absolutely. And then what it does, talk about great communication. It repeats back to me conversationally what I asked it to do, like the greatest assistant in the world will do. Yes, I can. This is what you asked me for. And without saying, is that correct? You go, you get it. This is going to, this is going to work great. <laughs> and then it, and then it says, please load the responses in. I load the responses in, in seconds, guys, yeah. seconds. It gives me 57 core issues that it identifies through those conversations through that communication I had with real humans in, in slow, clunky time. And then I say, well, some of these are repeating. Could you remove any repeating themes? Now it gives me 33. 33 core issues that people were kind enough and, and hoping for a result enough to share with me that I now have to improve and optimize everything I do about how I guide them through that course. That's a conversation you'd have with a really skilled, aware person. And guess what? The other thing AI does, it never forgets because our human brains are so limited and so <laughs> reactive to the, th if, if I only had that experience, every other time I've done this, I collected the responses and I have a doc. Uh, if I was super diligent, every time I went to, I would pour through it and I would self-analyze. It's not really my, my MO. I'm more of a, I get it kind of guy. And then I live in the moment. I want to live in the moment, right? AI is never going to forget as long as I have that chat in the results. And I, of course, copied and pasted it in a safer place, but uh, it never forgets. You can pick up where you left off the previous conversation and it's still right there, fully aware and waiting for your next instruction. That is a gift. And why you would be afraid of that, I cannot wrap my head around. <laughs> well, see, Brandon makes fun of me for using the word please with ChatGPT, but Kevin, you and I are nice to the machine, and when it becomes sentient and wants to overtake the world, it's to Brandon <laughs> right. first. It's going to take me he, out. Because yeah. he's just, he doesn't say please I'm, and thank you to I'm the machine. I'm just rude. I'm just right? rude. <clears throat> I'm, I'm treating it like, like a service worker, and I'm in a bad mood. That's what I'm doing. It's not good. Well, you know, what's interesting that th this really opened my, so I, I have a, a partner in my business named Rob Tillman and he is, 
brilliant in a lot of ways, but he has been immersing himself in this thing. He, he goes after a task. So we just did a training yesterday showing people how to not only identify freelance copywriters, how to identify their ideal client, but find those companies using web search with, chat, with GTP4, right? Point is, Rob said, people will never know how many words I had to change and adjust or remove to get it to give me the result. And he said, what I realized in the process was it's a child. Yes. It's a child who wants to please you. And if you don't give it completely clear instructions, it can't understand what you want from it. And so you have to be patient and communicate with it like you would a child until it gets it. And then Eureka, it gets it forever. Hmm. Yeah, wow. my my mind was kind of blown. It, it actually, it just it, it gave me so much peace because like I really I, I've had a lot of practice as a communicator and, you know, uh, you you can say no you didn't understand my question i want you to do it again right that's just like a child yeah. or you say no that that isn't quite what i'm looking for try this it's, it's like you're having a conversation with with a friend and you're trying to achieve clarity right and the person on the other end is quite literal and so right. you need to be very clear about what it is you want and it forces you to think about your words it forces you to really think about good questions so the better you have, the better you are at conversing, the better you are at prompting, you know, for lack of a better term, right. you're going to get really good output, but it's an experiment. It's not just that one and done, you know, boom, right. rewrite this email. Like you want to wrestle with it. it it's a tool. It, so that's right. It, it, it takes patience. And like any relationship that you care to nurture, you got to go through those ups and downs and go, will we, will we arrive at an understanding? Hopefully it's worth trying. But if we continually don't arrive at an understanding, it's probably a limited lifespan for this relationship. Mm. And but the thing is, the tool's not broken. People's approach is broken and they either go in wanting to prove that it doesn't work. And so they don't have the patience to, you know, Rob did 140 different tests to get mm. the result. He was 140. Because he knew it could, he knew it could do it, but it kept breaking, and and it, yeah, it, it it spits out ridiculousness, and then people go, "This is not worth it." This is, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, or I'll wait for, I'll wait for the better version. Guess what? Uh, there's a reason they're trying to halt the better version. The better version is going to is going to come and kill us right. at some point. Well, so it's gonna kill Brandon. You and I, you it's and gonna I kill Brandon watch. first. Yeah, kill, yeah, it's coming after me first. I'm you not nice watch. enough to it. All right, I'm gonna be nicer. Going on record, yeah, nicer absolutely. to the robot. Just be nice to the baby it. robot. Nice. Not, but baby, it is a baby robot. So, Kevin, I, I imagine that back when you were in school on career day, you know, all your classmates, they wanted to be firemen and astronauts and policemen. And you raised your hand and said, I'm going to be a freelance copywriter. That's right. right? That's, that's what you exactly said. how it happened. Yeah. Yep. Clear path. Yep. Clear path. It. Lots of examples around me. That was helpful. Right. Right. College courses around it that were exactly <laughs> hit the market. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah, love, I, love to hear your path because it's quite an interesting one. Yeah, so, um, this you know you, you could go back to to grammar school or you can talk about kind of what you did after high school and that interesting career you had. Where, wherever you want to take you, sure, is good with us, man. Well, I think like if we're reflective enough, we see when there were clues. We don't probably see them at the time when we're young. One, one question I love to ask other copywriters on my podcast is. 
when is the first time you remember writing something that had an impact on someone else? Because a writer will know that moment and remember it because it, it spoke to them and said, hey, there's something here. Again, mm. like you said, Bob, communication. I may be good at this communication thing and I like to make words maybe, but you know, this I'm so proud to be a copywriter and to work with other copywriters because the odds of you wanting to call yourself that, first of all, low. Second of all, it takes a lot of courage to say, I number one, I'm going to say, I'm a writer. That's a bold statement. <laughs> you got a majority of people who fear writing. You've got, right? And then, so you not only say, I like writing or I, pre I love to read. No, you you want to write. And you, some people get the courage to call themselves that. Then you got to now say, but I'm also going to learn how to sell. And I'm going to have a criteria for how the kind of products I want to, you know, put that behind and it's a courageous endeavor. Um, so going back to your question, I wanted, uh, I wanted acceptance, I think more than anything when I was young. And that's what led me to comedy because I was horrible with girls. I was skinny, gangly, felt awkward, felt very uncomfortable in my skin. And the only thing I was good at as far as creating moments with people was getting them to laugh. And so that became sort of my, my, my version of value around myself. All comics are completely goofed up as I'm sure you, you can right, imagine. Because but, I've been in, I've been at shows where the audience is just so loving towards the comedian on stage, right? <laughs> what an accepting atmosphere that, <laughs> that you bathe yourself in. Well, that like Renee yeah. Brown conference. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> exactly it's, it can be a little combative and well some in some comics that's an interesting observation bob because i mean not to go too deep into psychology of it here is some comics are purposely combative i i know i i know guys and i can't think of any women who've done this as much but will throw a show if they think they're doing too well because to them the audience isn't hip enough they're just tricking them into laughing I, I, I used to work with UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade, the original crew, Matt Besser, Amy Poehler. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Mc, uh, uh, who's Mc, uh, Ian? Uh, and then uh, who's the guy who's directed all the movies with Will Ferrell? Um, Adam McKay right? was in the group. Oh, okay. We're talking about, right? Those guys, I can't tell you how many shows I saw them tank because the audience was laughing too hard. And in the environment they were in, which was the Chicago Improv at the time, they thought these are these are dumb tourists. And if we're killing, that means we suck. Wow. And they would they would take the 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 sketch in such a bizarre place. To them, it was like we have to we have to save our souls. And Maybe if the audience would have stayed with them, they would have felt gratified, but it felt more like combat, you know? Interesting. And then it's like, now here's Kevin Rogers <laughs> with, with, with some lighthearted observations. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, so this is so fascinating. I, I love deconstructing. Like I watched Segura and other comedians and I like love to break them down and why I enjoy them so much. And yeah. there's always, it's always story. And it's yeah. always incredible timing. And then I'm like, well, if he told that story a little faster or different, or if I just told that story, it wouldn't even be funny and not even remotely. It'd be like, okay, that was weird. But the way yeah. they're storytelling, 
yeah. around the humor is 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 so precise and beautiful. So you've got an audience laughing. I want to understand this. So you've got this this audience laughing. Is it because it's an it's an un lack of a better word unintelligent laugh? It's it's a it's a I'm a tourist. I'm drunk. I just want to have a good time, and I'll laugh at anything at this point. And, and that you're saying that is a that's where a comedian takes a pause and say, hmm, I want a more intelligent response or help me understand that. Yeah, I, I think in, in their case, there's a couple of factors. One is it's a group of people on stage together. Yeah. And they're wanting to show off for each other. OK. Uh, or, or hold each other to a standard. Two is these are highly intelligent people, all of them. Um, and they their identity was in, they were trained by Del Close, who was the original innovator. He was, he was with Second City for a long time. In Chicago, Del left and started um, IO, is it Improv Olympic or whatever? I'm sorry if I'm getting it wrong, I'll be All persecuted. Right. But um, no, I'm not apologizing to you guys, I'm apologizing to anybody who actually <laughs> cares about what Del Close did. But, um, they he he created a, a, a an avant-garde art form so imagine you're uh miles davis and you know the crowd wants to hear standards and you're like oh I, I got four guys up here with me and we're all gonna take this wherever it goes Zim, true improv that's what improv right. is it's yeah. dangerous it's unpredictable it can not go great but you want the audience to appreciate that it's happening in the moment for better or worse and just love that. It was more that kind of thing, Brandon, for, mm -hmm. for, for them, I think. Um, and, you know, look, a comic, for the most part, it is more surface level. We just want acceptance. And we don't care what the audience's motivation is as long as they like us. And if they're laughing and cheering, there's, there's clearly nothing wrong. Okay. for most of us this is exactly how it was supposed to go sure right but those guys had you know they were like the band they're like fagazi we're never going to sell out we're never going to sign to a label we're gonna you know that's that's who those guys were okay hello founders love this conversation with kevin rogers known as the copy chief and we would love for you to get on at least his Sunday email list. His Sunday stories are really, really amazing. Uh, head over to copychief.com forward slash insider. Uh, he's going to give you a couple options there. One is if you're all in, you can get an email every day of the week. Uh, but if you just want to test the waters, the Sunday emails are a great place to start. Go over to copychief.com forward slash insider to hear from Copy Chief each and every week. Now back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Ricknaris and Brandon Boyd. So, and I mean, there's obviously there's tremendous parallels between comedy and copywriting, which we'll, we'll probably touch on. Um, let's talk about the process. So comedy, th there are people that are naturally funny, but when you dive into their work, right, Brandon, like I, I when you say you break these guys down, like when you read Jerry Seinfeld and his process, when you, when you, when you look at these guys process, it's not, they're going on stage multiple times a night. They're working on material before the, the, the public at large yeah. 
here's the refined piece of it. You want to talk right. about the, the work or the process that you went through yeah. and you developed uh, your routines? For sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and you know, the great comics, you, you can't believe they did it's it's been polished it just feels so real and in the moment you know who i love mm -hmm. in that same way brandon is, lately is nate bargazzi yeah oh my god i i, I yeah. when i watch him i go man if i could have had his style i was really energetic and not like i was trying to put on a show i was just more like um very physical just by that was my natural thing i would kind of move around a lot and things yeah. and act things out He's yep. just standing there talking. Same with Chappelle. And I and I watch guys like that and I go, why is this so funny? They're just talking. Yeah. And yes. you, especially with Chappelle's a great example of, it's so hard to believe he polished that and iterated and iterated and iterated, but that is always the case. It's called, you know, you have, here's, you might find this interesting. You have jokes, you have bits and you have hunks. That's, that's how comics refer to it, right? Okay. So it starts with a joke. Most people don't wake up and go, I want to write, so a joke is a single joke. It's a laugh. If you end up building around that joke, you now have a bit. It's it's three or four jokes, and there's sort of an arc to it. It's a it's a bit. Yeah. Um, and then you have if, if you have a hunk, if you see a, a comic who carries on a theme for many, you can have several bits in a hunk. Uh, I think of um, who's the the Australian guy, um, James Jameson or, or whatever. Or I, I can't think of his name now. Um, but, uh, so Mulaney, Mulaney does that well, I think hunks Mulaney does that really well. I mean, if you look at his last special it was basically one giant hunk around one giant story sobriety. Yeah. It's really what it was saw him live. Yeah. It was, it was all around his, his, uh, his intervention. Yeah. I just saw that. I thought it was brilliant. thought yeah. it was brilliant. Um, but anyway, so it starts with a joke and if the, you, you have an idea and then you hope to present it in, in a way that gets a laugh. And again, this is where motivation and intent comes in. Are you going to just share it as a pure thought or idea? Or are you going to try to polish it up and go, well, I know if I do this or if I look at Brian Regan, I, I love and respect Brian Regan, but Brian knows how to get the laugh, even if it's not the strongest joke in the world. He just makes a crazy noise and plays the dumb guy right. at the and end. Of the make it, and, makes a face or, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and people know that's their cue to laugh. It's, it's you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, everybody respects Regan. He's one of the best ever. It's just that he has he has a, a method to, to how he operates, right? Um, you take a guy like Nate or who you said Segura there it, it's or Chappelle it's like there's no trickery here you know it, it's just they have and you add you add courage to that like the stuff Chappelle does where you go I'm intentionally going to insult and piss off the audience right yeah. now right yeah and see if I can get them back that's just to me a master at their craft wanting to keep themselves in the moment and challenging going I'm going to do everything I'm not supposed to do and the opposite of what what a hack would do to just come up here and dance around and have everybody applaud. Yeah, uh, I'm going to I'm going to try to break this and see if it can be better on the other side. I, I appreciate that. I think that's a lot of Chappelle. I absolutely love him. The depth of his intelligence and insight is astounding to me. And but yeah. he's it's he does it without a net. And that's yeah. fun to watch because you can hear it in his tonality. You can hear it in the audience reactions like he's going to say this thing. 
and of course, you know, it blows up in different areas. And the thing I love about Chevelle is how little he gives a shit about anything. Like he just does not care, you know, and maybe he does care deeply, but you can say maybe that maybe that's part of it. Yeah. He's, well, he's so committed to this is the type of comedian I'm going to be. Yeah. These are the types of things I'm going to um, agitate. Yeah. And I will not sacrifice fame or more laughs for the fact that I need to agitate yeah. these current social beliefs or whatever's right. going on. Because you know. I'm, I'm trying to say something. And again, to me, when you're seeing a, a, a comic that has like there's heft behind their stuff, mm -hmm. it's because they they're very sure about who they are and what their opinions are on things. Yeah. They've done a lot of thinking about it. Yeah. And that's what makes gives it heft. Compared to someone like a Howie Mandel who would just come out and again, brilliant, well, kill a room, yeah. but it's not the same. Well, I, I kind of classify it. There's clowns and comedians, right? Clowns yeah. are kind of entertaining and we need both, right? You, you kind of want to yeah. have that. But when you consider guys like Pryor and Carlin, who kind of like, Bill like Hicks. Both, yeah. they are what, what I see from true comedians is they're, they're kind of the last truth tellers left on the planet. 100%. Right. Yep. They, they have they have some grace to be able to take the public places that are really difficult to go. And they address social issues and political issues from a from a place of comedy. But a true comedian will make you laugh and make you think even yes. more, which which to me is a great bridge to a copywriter, because, you know, a, a hack copywriter will try to trick you with language and things. They're, they're going to try to trick you into buying something. But. I think the copy that that you teach your people to do is more like, look, no, I want you to be brave and take them to a place where they they actually think for themselves and you're not tricking them. If, if I'm if I'm yes. not mistaken, but I know that's kind of your it's a hundred percent. I, I appreciate that observation, and it's it can be lonely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it right? ain't it ain't sexy, but I've kind of stuck with it. You know, I, I always say, look, you know, people are like oh, you've built this amazing community. And I'm like, I'm just glad people relate to me in some way because I could not be Russell Brunson if you had a gun to my head. And I'm, I'm not insulting Russell. I'm just saying his his approach and style is so different. It's just, I couldn't fake that. I couldn't be that. If that, if that was the criteria, I'd be out. I'd be, do, I'd be at a car wash or something, you know? Um, and so, but yeah, because to me, like, look, again, going back to what we say, we're communicators, we're writers. If that isn't what this started with for you, I don't know what foundation you're, you're, you're building on. Because really what you are is you're a biz op kind of marketer. If you're only looking at the data, if you're only focused on sales and, and those things, we see this in financial a lot. We, you know, when we were in that room, Bob, I'm not going to say names because I don't want people to think I'm insulting their approach but there were two very high level financial copywriters in that room and one of them after my talk said something really profound he's like that's been our approach here at the be from the beginning is that we we're playing a long game and we want to have meaningful mind shifting conversations with people and that takes that takes patience and consistency and in a lot of financial it's all they it's just acquisition, acquisition, acquisition. It's all a numbers game. And, and it's kind of funny how we've seen certain companies become more solid through all the changes and others completely collapse in that approach. 
people are getting more intelligent in, in, in their, their demands for how they want to connect with people, I think, are, are becoming more clear to them, even if they're not fully aware of it, you know? Hmm. Can you take us down the path, your path, Kevin? What, what has drawn you back into comedy? We're looking at our show notes here, and, and you took a hiatus 12 years away, and you're returning to the stand-up stage. Tell us about your approach. Tell us about your, the draw for you. Yeah. So that was kind of a past event. I'm back out now because it started to feel like work again. But in uh, 2016, 2015, um, my, my best friend in the world is a guy named Billy Gardell, who's become, he was a great stand-up and he's become a successful sitcom actor. He was on Mike and Molly with Melissa McCarthy. And that show went six years. And, and now he's on another pretty innovative show called Bob Hart's Abishola. Yeah. Um, which is into its fourth year. And so he's one of the few leading men in sitcoms who has a, two different shows with 100 episodes, which is incredible. Um, and so Billy invited me to come open for him at the theater here in St. Pete, 2,000 people, which is far bigger crowd than I ever got to perform for when I was actually doing stand-up. Wow. And so it was a really cool opportunity, but my immediate instinct, guys, was no. I could never do that because I've been away for 12 years. I don't even know who I would be as a comic now. And I'm really busy running my business. So it was just a flat out no. And then it started eating at me because I was like, man, what is the purpose of creating some freedom and autonomy in your life if you have to say no to something like that? Mm. So I called him back. I was like, dude, if it's still open, I'm doing it. He's like, all right. And then I realized I had six weeks to write 25 new minutes of material having no idea who I am or having been on a comedy stage in, in that long. And so this is where the great parallel comes in is now I had no choice but to approach it like I would a copy project because mm. it had a hard deadline and, and <laughs> you know, and so I, even though I've always drawn the parallels, holding and keeping attention, things like that, this is why I really started to go deeper on the ideas of like persona. Like, who are you? Who are you presenting yourself as to this audience? And then how quickly can you get in and out of these premises and these, these bits and these hunks? And, and so it was, a, it was an incredible journey. Um, it, you know, did a lot of writing, um, had a lot of joy along the way, a lot of frustration. The hardest thing, I, I guess, was preparing for the biggest show I'd ever done and having to do it in front of 12 people in a yeah. small club uh, and sometimes only other comics in a room and trying to get on every stage I could was a full-time job. Uh, I got in, I got buy-in from my family because I said, you're basically not going to see me for the next couple wow. months. And, um, and then it, 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 ha it happened and it, it was tremendous. Um, I can't say it was like, the greatest show of my life. It was one of the great experiences of my life. Okay. Um, and the irony is you, you get to do a theater like that. And it was like one time, that's how it was. But people would say, what are you going to do after this? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no plans for it. I just, yeah. I'm only focused on this show. But then what happened was weird. I kept getting opportunities to play more cool shows. Like my friend, Jim Brewer, heard I was back and said, come open for me at this other theater. And I was like, I've because if you're a performer and you're sitting and I go to a lot of live music, 
shows and a little part of me is always like Man, i want to be on that stage like uh, but it feels yeah. good up there you know and so i got to play all these amazing stages um and i did get to for the one time in my life record one of my best sets ever it was at a theater and the reason it worked out so well is because the second time i played that theater it was a cancer benefit and i got to do it two years in a row so i knew the room the second time um and i did something uh, kind of come in full circle here that I don't often do as I allowed myself to just live in the moment. I'd say about 40% of the material I did in that show, I wrote that day. Oh, wow. Really, oh really. I wrote it and I'd be like rehearsed it in my living room, but I was like, part of it was I'd kind of burned my material the last time I did it and I needed new stuff. And I just had a feeling that day. Comics really go by feeling, you know, all performers, I think. And I just felt like, now these jokes are good and if it if it if it clicks I'm, I'm i'm just running with them and it was just one of those magical moments where everything aligned perfectly and i just everything was not off the cuff but i did not really follow a set list at all once i got up there i just i riffed with things i had kind of planned um did a whole thing about we had just had a close hit with a hurricane and so i did a whole thing about hurricanes and it was just beautiful, man. And I have awesome. it on tape. So that's, I'm like, I'm done now. I am done. I'm never well, going to have a better this interview will that. be uh, Kevin's, uh, Kevin's right. uh, community performance. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Hey, take us back. Like you, you mentioned, like the reason you got into comedy, right? Get on stage, get acceptance, right? Get people to see you. Tell us about that journey. Like how, how long were you in comedy? Um, what what were some of the ups and downs like kind of go there and then and then talk about getting out if you if you want to sure mind. yeah so it started with like i said high school that was my one parlor trick uh, you know it was i started falling in love with the art of stand-up by i would learn memorize um other comics bit routines okay, okay. and of course i never took that on a stage but i would kill at parties with it so I was like, I was like the comedy jukebox nice. and I could do an, enough of an impersonation of, so I was, you know, this is in the, the glory days of the eighties when comic was really coming on t- into people's living rooms with like, you always had Carson and things, but Rodney Dangerfield had those HBO specials. It's the first time anybody had seen Jerry yeah. Seinfeld or Bill Hicks or Sam Kennison all like broke out on, on, on those specials. So we would watch those on VHS over and over and over and over. Yeah. we all knew them. And so we'd go to a party and somebody would say, Kev, do that Seinfeld thing. And so I would just start riffing and love the attention. And then we, so I'd kill at the one party and we'd go to the second party and it, it would happen again. And, and something would kind of bomb. And I'd be like, no, what the hell happened there? And then, you know, so I'd be like analyzing it. Right. And I'd be like, oh, I tried to follow the sign, the, the Kennison thing with the Seinfeld thing. And that could never work because it's completely different styles. And, and so I really was in my head, like loving it. And then uh, I decided kind of on a dare for my friends to, to do an open mic. I remember calling the club and I said, uh, I was on like lunch break at the, I was detailing cars and, and apparently not good at it. I thought I was good at it. And I heard I was about to get fired. (laughs) Everybody was really questioning my abilities as a, as a guy who waxes cars, <laughs> I really was at this time, Ouch. like starting to fear for my future for the first time at like 17. <laughs> I dropped out of high school. I just wanted to be a grown up. I didn't want to, it was very, 
And so you didn't want to go through the ritual that everybody else did. Yeah. Oh, man. I put on that stupid cap and that means nothing to me. I want to. So I uh, called the club and I said, hey, you have to be 21 to do the open mic. They go, how old are you? I go, I'm 18. They go, okay, it's fine. Just don't drink. I go, okay, great. What do I get? Like 20 minutes? (laughs) The guy goes, 20 minutes? He goes, have you ever done it before? I go, no, it's my first time. He goes, you'd be lucky to get five. I go, five minutes? What am I going to do in five minutes? <laughs> so, of course, I, I rehearse for weeks, uh, and I show up to the club to do my five minutes, and I can barely breathe. I just feel like I'm about to get hit by a train with the light in my face. I do three and a half minutes and say goodnight. <laughs> oh, my God. Out of material, I rush through it. But I packed the audience with friends and I walked off that stage going, this is going to be part of my life for a long time. Nice. You just know, you know, and uh, then a bit of luck is always involved. And my friend, still one of my great friends in life, uh, Lou Angel Wolf was the, the, the house MC at the club. He had taken me under his wing and they, he was moving to LA and they held a contest to see who would be the new house MC which meant doing, getting paid to do eight shows a week, right? Uh-huh. Like the greatest gift you could have. And I won the contest, not because I killed the hardest. I did my time. Mm. You had to do five. They said, if you go over five minutes, you're out. And I did 458. Nice. <laughs> and a c- couple other guys who maybe should have had the job went over and they were like, we got to fall because as an MC, if you don't respect the time, it's your job to keep the show flowing. And if you're going to get up there and go off on a tear and do 15 minutes, you've just ruined the whole show, you know? Ugh. And so I won that job and did that for about a year or so. And then I started getting road gigs and then um, was basically traveling full time as a comic by 20. 23, I moved to Chicago because I looked at my calendar one day and I realized wow, like 80% of my work is with one booker and the guy doesn't like me that much. The guy who owns that company, we kind of rub each other the wrong way. He was a real corporate guy, you know, and I was always pushing envelopes. And so I moved to Chicago. So I thought I got to go to a different region and break in there. That was the only way you did it back then. I mean, you could send the tape. Nobody ever looked at tapes, you know, you, you had to show up in the club while the owner or the booker was there, have a good show. And then, You'd work that club. If you had a good week there, they'd put you in other clubs. It was a grueling slope process. It's kind of still the same. My son's a musician. He's 19. He wants to move to Nashville. Um, His dream is to tour. And I'm like, I don't know, unless maybe you can get discovered, you know, on TikTok or some shit, but he hates that stuff. (laughs) And and so it's going to be the same process for him. It's like, you just got to go build audiences and make connections you know, with your art, putting it on display and hoping that you drove six hours and have a good set and that the guy's actually there. That's how it worked. And so I did that for, you know, eight years. But once I got to Chicago, I I was doing a little less road work. I'm really fortunate. The guy at the, the here's artist logic. Here's why I moved to Chicago. Here's how I justified it. I, I went and did that audition at the Chicago Improv, which is now defunct. Um, they had just switched over to a cabaret format. So they didn't want to bring the national headliners in anymore. They said, we have enough local talent. Let's just do like cabaret style shows. Um, I came in, I had long hair, I had this 
Florida outlaw swagger thing. And the guy who was running that show was kind of an artist and had a vision for it. And, and I did well. And he said, if you move here, I'll book you to headline this club twice a month guaranteed. And I was like, wow. Cause he's, he's like, I need your energy. I can't have another fat guy with a mustache on stage. <laughs> It's just like, it's all we got here in Chicago. <laughs> and, and so I took the guy on his word. I had $400. They paid me another $400. They put me up for the weekend. I had $800 to find a place and move to Chicago. Stayed on my buddy's couch for a week. Again, things work out. There was this couple called the Pod Majerskis who loved artists. And they, a few other comics were living in their places on 18th avenue south in chicago which was then a really gang riddled neighborhood yeah and i lived there had this third story had this incredible view of the city um and was love and life man 23 and uh yeah so kept doing that and eventually moved to la thinking i, I want i slowly started shifting to what i really fell in love with was collaborating with other comics and creating things we'd written a few scripts together and i was like i could give up the spotlight for this this is more interesting to me that's why i think i started embracing the idea of being a writer a friend of mine got a sitcom and said come out here and be my writer uh then the pilot actually got picked up and they were like you can't hire your friend as a writer he has no experience and he's like but you said and they're like it's hollywood we say a lot of shit <laughs> <clears throat> And so I never got that job and, but I did learn to write scripts and felt, wow, this is exciting. And then uh, that's the story I told Bob about Mrs. Kravitz at the car wash telling me, sometimes you got to start with what you don't want to find out what you do want. And I knew I didn't want to be in LA anymore. I felt dejected. I was lost for what was next in my life and strung, strung together a few road gigs from there that, because that's how I knew how to get paid. And then I, I knew it was over one night in Macon, Georgia, when I'm sitting in the back of the room and I'm thinking as they're introducing me, I would pay anyone in this room every dime I have to go pretend to be me right now. I cannot say mm. these jokes again. Mm. And that's when the greatest heckle I've ever had came from the darkness in, in Warner Robins, Georgia. And, and, and a guy said this very lovingly, not even like he was just concerned. And he said, ma'am. Is it me or is something weird? Whoa. That, that was the heckle. Wow. And I said, no, man, it's not you. Something is weird. And it's the fact that I don't want to be here right now. Ooh. Wow. And, and so we just had this really honest moment. And they were like, my save. It was like, that was my intervention. Like this crowd was like, dude, stop. Yeah. This isn't fair to us. You look, you look like you're in pain. Just stop. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm done. I, I got to figure something else out. Interesting. So, yeah. Hey, everybody. Hope you're enjoying today's show as much as I am. What a great, great conversation we're having and learning so much. And one thing that is shining tr true for me and perhaps for you is the idea of story. You know, comedy, uh, the structure of telling jokes and bits resonance with the audience i see you you see me it's there's so much to that and it it's it's amazing to me how story just translate from different disciplines media it's always comes back to what kind of story are you telling people about who you are what you do and what problems you solve in the world 
that's what we're great at with speed stories and now with strategic story media we always are open to the conversation of you finding your story how can we help you take your story and deploy it in a way that's going to attract the people you want you can reach out to us at feedstories.com or strategicstory.media and book a call with Bob and I, and let's have a conversation about how to deploy your story. This is the age where people are not tolerating uh, a lot of worn out ways to market. They are looking for resonance. They are looking to be seen. And you can do that through the power of your story. Now back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brandon Boyd. So what did that do? So then what was the next step for you? That, that, the moment, the, def, the, the, the shift moment. Did you go back what, to detailing cars? Yeah. <laughs> well, less than that, to be honest, man, I couldn't get hired anywhere. I, I literally could not get a job at the best hotel when, after we moved to Florida parking cars, because I had one thing on my resume, stand-up comedian from 19, 19- 88 to 1998 and they would we would have this great conversation like we're having now that's fascinating what was that like and i'm like oh i'm in and then the guy go oh it was great beating you i can't hire you i'm like what do you mean he's like some booker's gonna call and you'll be gone i'm like no i swear i'm done i'm like this is i'm starting a new life and he's like i i can't trust it i need reliability so that's why you know and so i was doing no resume jobs i was a, a bellhop at a different hotel i worked the overnight shift at a at a cool old haunted hotel on the beach but could never after a year do it couldn't get off the overnight shift i'm a grown damn man who's traveled the country (laughs) and i'm like getting passed up by younger guys who are willing to run faster in the rain for some guys bmw and i'm just like all right what what am i gonna do here and then uh a friend of mine who i didn't really like very i did not want to associate this because when i knew him he was a he was a drug addict and a horrible alcoholic. He'd gotten sober and started a business. And he pulled me in his office. He asked me to come to his club or his business one day. And he said, listen, man, I know you, I know you have a lot of questions about me and things. He's like, but I know who you are. And I've always admired you. He's I have a problem. Um, I've got five or six guys who work for me. He's a telemarketing room. He goes, who all know this business well enough to help me run this company. He goes, but I wouldn't trust any of them. He's like, you don't know anything about what I do, but I would trust you with my life. He's like, how much are you making at that hotel? And I'm like, oh, 300 on a good week. <laughs> He's like, I'll pay you $400 to show up here and sit next to me in my office for a month, um, $400 a, you know, a week for a month or whatever. And, uh, just see what I do and learn about it and see if it's a fit because if, if it is, I think we could do some cool stuff together. And it was like, I had to make, I just had a kid, you know, it was like, I had to uh, take any opportunity. And I did want to understand business. That was the one thing I understood now, by now I'm 30, by the way, go back, get my GED, took every writing course I could take before they made me enroll in college. Cause I knew I wanted to be a writer, but it was all journalism. And I was like, this ain't pretty. Mm-hmm. And so every professor I had, I would say to him, what do I do? And they're like, you can write. You're definitely, you can write. They go, but I don't think journalism's for you. You're looking for stability. So I was like, shit. And so um, he, uh, I knew, and I was like, I'm going to, 
this guy chain smoked and would yell at people all day and he was so manipulative. It was like the worst thing stuff about sales. But he was also smart and he was teaching me a lot. And I was learning about how to manage people and some good examples and bad examples. And I ended up running the guy's company for like four years as his VP. Um, and man, that was a life-changing event. And that's, I discovered copywriting through that company, through a guy named Chris Tomasula, who came in as an, a consultant and taught me all about direct response. He's the guy who said to me, you like to write, you're a pretty good writer. You're getting good at sales. You should become a copywriter. Hmm. Um, and I'm like, what is it? What is that? And he showed me a sales letter and I thought it was the ugliest, stupid, stupidest. I'm like, who would fall for this? And he started kind of explaining to me about niche markets and persuasion. And then he turned me on to Halbert and Carlton and, and I'm like, okay, there you I, go. Can, I can look up to these guys. I get yeah. this. Yeah. And that was it. That was the transition. What are some of the um, parallels for you with comedy and copywriting? What were some of the big bridges that you, that you noticed? Like right away? I, yeah. I think, like what were some like, oh, this is kind of like this, or this is resonance. Yeah. I think it was a couple of things. It was, it was, it was timing of setting up a premise and then paying it off. Oh, okay. Right. Like I would okay. a joke. I think that was kind of instinctive. Like say, like, but I had to unlearn a punchline because you don't want to surprise people and sort of trick them into laughing. Laugh isn't the outcome. You want to have them come to a realization that furthers your argument. Right. Um, and I think, I think was that instinct for having a two-way conversation is like, because I stood in front of strangers for countless nights and got their reaction to my one-sided conversation, I had an instinct for what they might be thinking or feeling at certain points in the writing. And I think the, those were my advantages I noticed right away. Um, and then just, you know, the other thing was like how to progress into something difficult and stay faithful to it until it clicks. You know, I remember as a stand-up seeing other comics with more experience and they would be able to do a certain thing. And I was like, how do they do that? I, I, I know what that is, but I can't do it yet. And I was like, it's kind of, it's, it's, just, and then one day it would just happen. I'm like, Oh, I can do that now. Right. Um, and with copy, I, I remember the exact moment where I was sitting, almost what I was writing when it finally clicked what copy is. And it was just like a moment where I was like, Oh, I get it now. And it was the simple idea every single thing you write has to be to their benefit. And I know it seems like the first thing you should understand about copy, but it's like, I got it, but I didn't know how to do it. And then something clicked in my brain and it just started flowing. And I was like, this is, I'm, I'm finally writing copy. This is what mm. it, I'll, I'll be trying to master this forever. But now I, I get the difference between normal writing and, and this, you know? Huh that is a key insight. It is, it is the thing that we, I don't want to say struggle, but it's a thing that we try to get our clients, you know, before they get on video, so many are reluctant to talk about themselves, their story. And they, they, they just try to talk about, they, they try to get to the benefits, but they're really talking about features um, they, they brag about things that people don't matter. And, you know, when Brandon's doing a session with somebody, he, he's, he's doing copywriting, but he's trying to get them a mindset of like, what's in this for me? Brandon's really good at like, Hey, just treat me like your customer, convince mm -hmm. me what's in it for me. 
Um, that's such a key thing. And it seems like you, it's kind of you, I, I think you learned that doing comedy. It's like you're, you're writing jokes to get the appreciation and the applause, but you're thinking of the audience when you do it. Like, it's kind of like, yeah. why would they laugh at, why would they laugh at this? Yeah. You know, what's in it for them? So, I mean, the, the parallels are just. It's the just, same. Yeah. yeah. It's the same motivation. Remember um, somebody asked me in Connecticut, he's like, what do you, can you get the same gratification from sitting and writing alone than you can in front of an audience? And I was like, almost, it's a little different, but it is, comes from the same place and it feels the same when it's working. You're, yeah. That's the zone we all talk about, right? And the word that comes up is, is resonance. Is So mm. when I'm sitting there and I'm pretending to be a customer and I'm interviewing someone on camera, I, I'm trying to get them out of their own way. But what I'm looking for is resonance. I want you to connect with me. And that's when I, when I watch, again, the comedy, I, I watched one of my favorites is uh, Sebastian Montescalco mm -hmm. and, and his, his, his full body humor. We were yeah. just like, and it's like he's 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 creating jokes and bits around complaining about the ridiculousness of going and taking his kid to school. And it's like, OK, so why why is that so funny? And it's the resonance. You can hear it in his in his body like, oh, man, I get you. And now and because I get you, you have my full attention. And, you, and I get you because you get me. Yes. 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 It's, it's, it's a two way street. Yes. Yes. And yes. He not only says it, you know, more brilliantly and hilariously than you ever could, but you might not have the <laughs> courage to say that out loud is the uh, other thing with comedy. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he's one of those rare guys that has all that and such a great performer. I would say I was more like him than the people I kind of wish I was like, because it okay. feels like they're so in control. I was you, like that very physical performance. Use animation. Uh, I, I yeah. wanted energy from the crowd, but he oh, is yeah. the master of it on another level. Yeah. yeah. You know, you you are somewhat successful now, Kevin. You could hire somebody in your office to watch you write copy and just say, Kevin, that is a fantastic <laughs> sentence you did right. right there, man. Posse. Like, yeah. oh, you hear me. Like, you could just do that. <laughs> you could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you it's know, like, that, that, that is what those Sunday emails are for me. It's like, I judge those by the replies I get, you there know, you and if I've only had one in six months of doing them that didn't get any reply, I'm like, all right, that was a dud, <laughs> bad premise, my bad. Um, I usually get between five and 10 to 12 and it's like, okay, because I don't ask for replies. It just means that I resonated, Brett, uh, Brandon, enough to the where they were compelled to hit reply. And they always say, I don't know if you even will read this or whatever. I'm like, of course I'm reading it. Yeah. Right. So well, let, uh, let, let's yeah. bridge into that. Um, yeah. We're getting to the end here. You, 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 you obviously work with people that are aspiring copywriters. You've got a community, but you do, you have these things, the Sunday emails, tell us about how people can connect with you and dig into your writing and some of those things. Yeah. I think you just go to copychief.com forward slash insider that's where you can choose how you want to hear from me. You can sign up for only my Sunday emails, which are kind of like my Tuesdays with Maury or something. You know, it's just like, I'm, I'm never pitching. There's never any links. There's nothing for you to do. I'm just sharing some nugget of wisdom, usually in story form, kind of like the conversations we've been having today. Here's what happened. Here's what I learned. Hope it's helpful. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Or you can get all my stuff where, of course, you're hearing about my programs and, and 
you know, and I have a podcast that I'd love people to listen to, which is called Copy Chief Radio. Again, if, if you enjoyed any of this, I think you'll enjoy that show. But that's what matters most to me is just being able to connect with people. I'm, okay. you know, I measure, uh, John Carlton said something brilliant. He used to say money is applause. Mm. And it goes to what you're saying, Bob, right? It's like, yeah, we need money to justify us getting to do these things. But it's really just a play. Hey, great job on that. You killed it. I'm in. Awesome. It's money is applause. Awesome. Nice. Well, hey, Kev, this was, um, this hour went by really quick. <laughs> it did. I know. It did. It, it, it's fascinating. And uh, just as, just as, you know, we love business and it's just kind of interesting that we, we, we all kind of gravitate towards comedy and not just like being entertained, but like the art form of it. And uh, to kind of get the insight of somebody who's been through it and bridge that and take, has taken those experiences to a, to a different career, um, but somewhat parallel funny career and yeah. uh, being su successful at it is really, really cool. So um, thanks for, thanks for opening up and sharing those stories. I know people are going to be really inspired by them and uh, um, I want people to get on that, the Sunday email list. Cause it's, it's, it's truly, if you just get it just to learn or to be entertained, whatever, whatever your, your intention is, um, you're going to really be fulfilled by them. So thank, thank you. Thanks Bob. for, uh, thanks for bringing Appreciate yourself you here today. <clears throat> thanks, it's really, man. really fun. I, I'll yeah, do these every fun. time, man. I wish I they were all like this. Two. No speed round guys. Come on. Aren't you going to put me in the hot seat? Go Aren't ahead, you going to give me some, some nuggets, some nuggets. Give, all right, Brandon, give him one more. All right. One more. Okay. All right, all right. Kevin. So we have this bit we do. I don't even know. If I'm just using the right word, but I want to sound cool. Like a comedian. So <laughs> Is it a bit, joke, this, a bit or a, or a, I don't know. It's a bump. It's a, I don't know what snort okay. it's gas. I don't know what the hell it is. Um, I call it the 60 second rant. So this is where you can rant about anything. This is, you can soapbox. This is your moment to get to know a little bit more about you and what what gets you all worked up. And you can talk about anything. Could be people who drive in the left lane or people who put pineapple on pizza. You know, those, those people are aliens, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, so go whenever you're ready. Okay. Rant. Uh, okay. If you are hoping that something you buy or sign up for can motivate you to succeed, then you're, you got a problem. Uh, if you have tried and continued to fail with multiple programs and things that you either never open or never finish, the problem is that you don't understand your motivation. And I don't want to be trite and say, you need to find your why, but it is kind of what it is. Um, you need to understand yourself and why that's not happening. You may be staring at a photo of your family going, why isn't this enough? That's okay if it's not. It's something, it is in there and you have, it's your job to go find it because I've coached a lot of people and I cannot coach or teach motivation. When people come to me motivated and, and they have, they naturally creating their own momentum, I can guide them to the promised land and it's easy. When somebody's fighting themselves and living in doubt, it's nearly impossible. So mm -hmm. if you're wondering why you don't finish things, you're not progressing, take a step back and do some deeper work about what would motivate you to succeed. Beautiful. Thank you. We just need you to rant on something more serious like that. Yeah. Uh, 
People are driving the left lane. Oh, you wanted like bits? Or, yeah. Or, or like, that, 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 that's your highbrow one. Now, give me one that's going to like oh, really set people off. What people, annoys me. First, people, per, people who bring pets on airplanes. Oh, I'm not. No, you know, here, here, here's what it is. Um, I'm all for experimenting with facial hair. I think <laughs> everybody should. But why any guy settles on the mustache? <laughs> And and where is it? You only have to see yourself like three times a day. We all have to wonder what that's doing under your nose everywhere you go. And it's distracting. It's distracting. I'm trying to work out at the gym. And all I can think about is how long has that been going on? And who's telling you that's a good idea? <laughs> that's more like it, man. Okay. That's, that's what we're looking for. <laughs> oh god who's telling Beautiful. you that's a good idea who's lying to you yeah who's you lying help. to you you who need an intervention a mustache intervention <laughs> who hurts you who, who hurts you hurts enough you? to have to want to do that let that's you wear awesome. that thing on your face especially when it curls under your top lip a little yeah uh, or some oh, cigarette man. stains on the one side oh yeah oh, that guy i don't mind if it's actually yeah if you've got like nicotine oh yeah like that that guy's committed for 40 years to that thing. He's committed. My favorite is one that curls in the lips. So you, you're trying to look something in the eye, but you're kind of watching the hair curl into that lip. Like I could not, that would distract yeah. me. Yeah. Oh. Or how guys with the, with the really thick beards, how, how do they eat a sandwich? Well, right. Hey, yeah. it's a built-in bib. I've got a couple of buddies right? with those long What's, beards. Yeah, and they're just like, it, but like. What stories does that beard contain? What's going <laughs> yeah. on in there? That beard could talk. Dude, stories I, it's 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 an uh it's you can do an archaeological dig of all their yeah. past meals like kevin's yeah. saying yeah exactly so, yeah. all right that's what we're talking about okay. there we go Woo. tune in for more sunday emails where where we have mustache <laughs> talk and uh beard talk <laughs> and ball talk thanks for ball reminding talk. me to go. have we, fun we, guys we I, I get a little wrapped up in trying to change the world i appreciate it's the, okay we're with you we appreciate you. the correct i i vote we do this again at a future date and yeah i'd love it i'd love it stuff this is good stuff Thank you for listening to The Innovative Founder with Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd, a show featuring the real stories of entrepreneurs making their beautiful dent in the world. If you like the show, let us know by leaving a rating. If you're an innovative business founder yourself with a story to tell, then you might just be our next guest. Reach out to us on InnovativeFounder.com and tell us your story. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on The Innovative Founder.